Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit, Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. Sean, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. It's a true honor to have you here. Uh, excited to dig into a little bit more on uh, what you all are working on at Distributed Ventures and hear more about your background. No, I appreciate it, Matt. It's, it's my pleasure to join you. So thanks, thanks for the invite. On that note, I think it's always helpful to kind of just give the full context of uh, how you arrived where you are today, how you arrived on the Chicago Capital podcast. Uh, but I think people would love to hear kind of your career background, how you got into VC. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it is meandering. Uh, there is a, a running joke among my family that I've I'm, I'm, uh, demonstrated an inability to hold a job for a few years. Uh, but that, that results in kind of richness of perspective that I bring to the, the venture sphere. So early part of my career, um, did the investment banking thing, spent time in the lower middle market space working for, for Lazard. Um, took a bit of a left turn, got a call from a headhunter uh, about a role at McDonald's in a global uh, M&A and Strat uh, gig that was a special projects role kind of in response to Pershing Square having an activist stake in, in the company at that point. So went and did some really interesting work on a global basis, uh, everything from restructuring some, some underperforming assets to uh, thinking about how to... Um, exit some of the venture positions that McDonald's had at that time. So that was kind of my first look at venture in a corporate context. Um, went, got an MBA at, at Kellogg. So I, I did my undergrad at, at UFC in Hyde Park, did my, my MBA at Kellogg, kind of balanced out the experiences north and south, and uh, then went into consulting for a couple of years, did a lot of M&A advisory there. Um, you know, got to a point I, I, was, I was really wanting to spend more time focusing on growth and was debating jumping to the buy side or trying to get into a portfolio company in an operating role in an early stage and uh, kind of got the, the best of both when I uh, had the opportunity to meet Glenn Tolman and Lee Shapiro and, and kind of the, the early innings of Seven Wire Ventures. So jumped over on the investment side there, was with them for a couple of years, uh, a couple you know, like about nine months on the investment side and then jumped into a concept that we were kind of incubating with LightBank at the time called Zest Health and then spent about four years there, um, which is how I got to know NFP. And that sort of rolled into the NFP Ventures gig, which I'm sure we'll, we'll chat a bit more about. And, and that segued into distributed ventures. 
I really feel like you hit all the kind of career major milestones that people <laughs> hit before. Like I get I get undergrads or booth students always asking, how do I get into VC? Should I do consulting, yeah. banking, go work at a startup? Yeah, I feel yeah, like I'm yeah. just gonna, you just said I'm gonna do them all. Yeah, um, I covered to, all the bases for sure. Yeah, I, that to that to that effect, I'm you know, to spend just a, one more question maybe on your background. I'm curious because yeah. of the diversity of your experiences. Um, are there any of those roles that you felt, whether it be consulting, banking, working at a startup, um, you know, working at a strategic or working at McDonald's, any of those roles gave you a particular good, you know, toolkit from which to draw from when you got to venture? Were were any of them, even more so than the others, really helpful for you once you got to venture, once you got on the job? Or was it kind of an amalgamation? You took something from everything? Yeah, I mean, I I think if I were sort of rank ordering them, um, you know, because I invest early stage, right? We sort of focus on late seed series A as, as our sweet spot. And I think in, in that regard, you know, the, the years in the operating seat were probably the most beneficial um, just to understand a day in the life and kind of the, the variety and the urgency of, of the challenges that founders and early stage teams are, are facing. You know, I think kind of there is no substitute for having been in that seat yourself. Um, so I, I think that, that probably, uh, is at the top of the list. You know, I also had the benefit when I was there of working with with Glenn and Lee and the Lightbank crew and some other great investors. And so, you know, that was super beneficial as well. Just appreciating how, um, you know, how really strong investors think about company progression and things of that nature. You know, with, with that being said, I think like the, the consulting skill sets, one that's super helpful when you're you're going through, you know, sort of thesis creation, thesis refinement, when you're kicking the tires on assets, just it is that notion of kind of being dropped into a, an, an area that you may not know a heck of a lot about. And like, how do you make sense of what the core drivers are for, you know, for that business and the competitive landscape that they're operating in? So there's there's certainly value there. And, you know, we, we do, I mean, we're early stage ventures, so it's not like our transactions are highly structured, but I think we do a little bit more in terms of how we try to um, come into early stage rounds, it's a bit more structured than maybe, you know, a vanilla approaches. So some of the banking comes in there as well. And I am curious as well, you know, you spent time at Seven Wire and then you moved on to an early stage yeah. venture and then you got back into the game of venture capital. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned meeting people in NFP and obviously those relationships, I'm sure, had a huge part of it. But what was it, do you think, that really hooked you back into the world of being a venture capitalist versus staying on as an operator versus, you know, starting your own thing or just moving into the more operator role long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think kind of the, the intellectual challenge with NFP and NFP ventures, I mean, maybe just to step back and give a, a little bit of, of history so there's an appreciation for the distinction between NFP ventures and what we're doing now at Distributed Ventures. So NFP ventures was, was really a, a fund that was intended to demonstrate what we could do in partnership with a strategic entity um, so that was essentially a captive fund, right? NFP Ventures was half funded by NFP's balance sheet, half funded by um, senior leadership across the company. Um, and kind of on the back of that success, we're, we're now opening up distributed ventures for participation from, from entities, from institutionals and other strategic LPs aside from NFP. So kind of coming back to your, your question, Matt, uh, I think it was really the, the intellectual challenge for me and, and the opportunity to kind of build a new venture fund and a bit of a new venture model in terms of the way that we could 
you know, lean in with early stage operators, really help them refine their go-to-market strategy, accelerate their um, their ability to demonstrate that that critical product market fit in the early innings, and um, you know, and and to really front load a lot of that work. When we started with NFP Ventures, a lot of folks thought that we were uh, we were being a little bit too ambitious because we were we were identifying, you know, what is the sort of strategic partnership? What's that blueprint for how we can accelerate the business? before the capital comes in. So that's a key dimension of our investment committee memos. It was for NFP ventures, continues to be for distributed ventures. And and it was that opportunity to really flesh that out. So like the minute a check clears, you know exactly how you're rowing with a founding team um, to help build their business. And that that really intrigued me coming off the experience at Zest Health. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of, what what drove me to land where I landed? Um, you know, could could I have rolled into another operating role? Uh, probably. I'm, I'm you know from a, a family that has kind of entrepreneurial business roots. You know, my my dad and some partners uh, built a a business over the course of his career. So I'd kind of seen the operator experience over the course of my childhood, and and it's certainly important to my DNA. Yeah, I, and I think you touched on something as well. I definitely wanted to go into you know the transition from you know NFP to distributed ventures. Uh, very recently in December, NFP became an anchor limited partner in distributed ventures. So could you walk people through the transition, what that means, and and sort of what distributed ventures uh, you know guiding tenants are going to be moving forward? Yep, yep. No, for sure. I mean, so we we were really fortunate, and I think this is part of what it. Uh, what made it easy to kind of jump in and and build out NFP Ventures with a great team? Um, it, it's that the leadership of NFP were really thoughtful about how this fund should be oriented to the corporate parent co. And so they're great about kind of insulating it from the day-to-day noise of, of the business, but being proximate enough and having kind of connectivity with leadership in the form of our investment committee and, and some other structural things that just like made it work really, really well. Um, and I think that set us up for success in the spin out. So, you know, now with distributed is we're, you know, a true standalone fund. We're not controlled by NFP. Um, in a lot of ways, kind of the charge is unchanged. We're still focused on, you know, early stage fintech, insurtech, health tech companies, things that we can really affect um, given the subject matter expertise of NFP and, and other strategic LPs that we've welcomed or we, we, we hope to be welcoming. Um, so, so that's really unchanged. There's a little bit more distance from NFP, right. And, and that's important to kind of be hygienic about that, that required a little bit of, of thought and kind of measuring twice, cutting once, if you will, as we were spinning out, but it, it, you know, remarkably it's, it's been relatively headache free. And so can you talk a little bit about the, the team as well at distributed, you know, who else kind of helped fill out. Uh, the team yeah. there, any holdovers from distributed or from NFP? Uh, how did that sort of come to pass? Yeah, full full team. And so uh, again, this is where I'm, you know, not, not to pander. I'm, I'm certainly not. I'm just being frank. Like NFP has been a really great partner for us. They allowed us to roll the full team over. You know, we got return attribution, kind of all of that. They were they were really intent on kind of setting setting the fund up and us up as managers for success. Um, so that team rolling over is is myself. Uh, Michael Perry, who I'd worked with at Zest Health prior to to NFP Ventures, um, Adam Blumenkrantz, who's been with uh, been with us on the ride at NFP Ventures since the earliest of days, and then 
Carolina Rojas, who's been our rock, our rock star, you know, associate. Um, and we are, you know, PSA, we are, we are growing the team. So there are some job posts out there for, for some associate positions. So uh, team will be growing as we move forward. I'll be interested to see the makeup of uh, Northwestern versus you Chicago grads that, uh, that you guys take. <laughs> it's really going to show where your loyalties lie, I think, in the new future. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about some of the sectors you guys focused on and, and just given all of your backgrounds. Um, are there any kind of new focuses at Distributed or, you know, any kind of changes you've made around the parameters of check size, um, stages you guys will invest at, um, leading versus co-leading? Is there any kind of differences or nuances to that? Yeah, Um so I'll, I'll, I'll start with some of the easier things um, in terms of the strategy, you know, in, in many ways it's unchanged. So similar stage check sizes are a little bit larger. You know, we'd like to be a little bit more dominant in terms of our, our early ownership. Um, from a vertical vantage point, I, I don't anticipate material evolution. I mean, there are, there are some things that we're looking at around the edges. Um, certainly Mike and Adam are spending time thinking about, you know, what does crypto and Web3 mean for insure tech, fintech? Right. And kind of what's the intersection of some of the, the legacy, you know, infrastructure there and, and where the markets move. Um, but, you know, I think with fintech and sure tech and and health tech slash digital health, like barring, you know, including consumer, we'd be hard pressed to uh, broaden our aperture in terms of verticals we look at. No, that, that's actually a really interesting point and something I wanted to, to touch on next is, you know, you have these three very broad verticals. Um, yeah. Do you guys work off of, you know, thesis-driven investing? Are there areas that really excite you within each of those verticals? How do you delineate who should go after what vertical? Just kind of yeah. how you guys organize around those three broad categories. Yeah, I mean, we've been a, a super collaborative team historically, and we've got the benefit of being a, a relatively small team, so it's easy to do that. I, I think that is really ingrained in our DNA and it's likely to continue. You know, I would say generally there's organization, um, you know, under which I look at uh, a lot of the health tax sort of distributable benefits deals. Um, Adam, you know, is, is often a lead in the insure tech sphere. Mike's often a lead in the FinTech sphere. Um, that's based on kind of our uh, taxonomy of those industries. Like obviously, you know, FinTech and insure tech could, sort of coalesce into one broad category for a lot of investors, but that's kind of the way we skin the market. And then it's it's just highly collaborative from thesis generation, kind of really stress testing um, theses as we're establishing them. You know, in, in terms of the way our investment process works, Matt, it's, it's really a matter of like, we are thesis driven. So we're working on five, six active themes for fund two. Um, and it's, it's the combination of, what we're working on and when we're really starting to pick up on heat in the market from some of the signals across the subject matter expertise that we can tap into, whether that's in-house at NFP, whether that's in the carrier universe, um, whether that's some of the other relationships that we, we have. But, you know, it, it's, it's really a confluence of those two things. Um, we want to be smart on a space and kind of have a prepared mind. But when we're starting to get, you know, strong conviction around the market timing, being right, that that's when we we uh, pile in and move quickly. Yeah, and, and I was gonna just to double click into that just a bit. Um, 
you talk about moving quickly. Once you, one of you, maybe let's say, has decided um, an investment, you know, you were on pound the table for it because it's such a small team. What does that internal process look like? How fast does it go nowadays? Just because of the speed in the market, you know, has yeah. that had to change over the past year or two? Uh, just kind of like internally, yeah. how does that yeah. go? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the the market dynamic and and just the acceleration of the market and and how crazy the market's been going. You know, certainly that's. That's been uh, that's been a factor for us. It's a factor for everybody, right? Trying to figure out how do you chase deals, how can you catch deals, how can you still be disciplined? Um, you, you know, I, I I think we've been relatively agile. I mean, we've moved as quickly as over a weekend on a deal. Um, you know, that's something we're pretty proud of, especially with NFP Ventures having like CBC DNA um, that we could turn around and move that quickly. But I, I think you know generally. Um, we remain agile. We're really trying to establish relationships with founders super early, track them for a while. You know, in the case of Ascend, um, the first deal we've announced out of distributed, you know, that was one we've been tracking for five, six months. You know, they, they had a round preempted. Um, we continue to be in touch with them. You know, both Adam and Mike were, were tracking and super, super actively involved there. Um, so, you know, you, you try to do all that you can to kind of position yourself favorably. Um, if things do move quickly, but, uh, you know, not, not going to lie. It's, it's been a challenging market and certainly we've, we've had some misses. Yeah. I want to, I want to circle back on Ascend in just a little bit, because uh, as you mentioned, yeah. it's kind of the inaugural investment for uh, distributed. So that's extremely exciting. And, and we'll definitely yeah. get to that. I think uh, another area I was interested in, uh, because we've talked a little bit about kind of the last year and how things have changed. Are you all, do you have any kind of price sensitivity when it comes to valuation these days? Or is it effectively, the market's moving so fast, you kind of have to sort of, you know, take what's given at this point on the venture side, at least to get into these great deals? Or do you still try and remain somewhat price, you know, sensitive? How have you sort of gone about that over the past year? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think for us, it's a little bit of a qualitative analysis. I mean, certainly we have targets. We'd love to be you know, kind of around 15% if we're in a lead check uh, situation, right? Um, I think for us, and, and this kind of comes back to my earlier statement about trying to unlock how can we be a great strategic partner beyond just the capital partner for the companies, you know, it's kind of an evaluation of like how much work is is it going to, to take for us to get the company to realize what we view as the full potential and kind of what's the path for us to do that? And, and is the juice worth the squeeze, so, you know, for, for some of these founders that are super, super strong and there's a great syndicate of, of investors that have come together, we can get comfortable, you know, with a, a lesser ownership stake. Um, you know, in other instances, we're, we're trying to remain disciplined. I think, you know, just because of, especially with NFP ventures, NFP scale, kind of having one super LP to interface with, you know, that's pretty axiomatic. We can do a lot for companies. So with fun too, we've, we've wanted to make sure that we're not, um, you know, kind of giving the, giving the milk away for free, we joke. Um, but, but that's not like a super scientific analysis. We have a lot of debate when we're getting close to putting down a term sheet or, you know, participating in someone else's term sheet. And, um, you know, we just try to kind of hash it out and get to, get to the right place. And then as you're looking across InsureTech, FinTech, Digital Health, um, at the start of 2022, are there any 
sort of major themes that that really have you you know you interested right now um, that you're kind of using to help you filter startups or, or search for new opportunities? Any kind of major investment themes that that you're really paying close attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple generally, we love kind of the operating system of, I mean, that's been a, a super fruitful investment theme for us. Um, you know, we've got a, another investment out of Fund 2 that we'll announce. It's in the, uh, it's sort of in the, the home warranty space. Um, we think there's an enormous opportunity there to become, you know, a, a, an integral data store operating system for the home Um yeah, so I mean that that's a theme. We've we've got a, a handful of others. Um, I don't know that there are things that I feel are you know as yet untapped. Um, I think there's a there's a lot of like algorithmic stuff that that helps with individual suggestions. Whether you're in the fintech sphere, kind of the asset management sphere, the insurance sphere, you know, I think that's a theme that we can kind of recycle, and we probably will recycle. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially in insure tech and fintech, it's it's interesting. It's getting it, there's so much capital that's come into those markets. I don't know that there are like screaming unaddressed opportunities. And respectfully, if there were, I might I might not divulge them here. <laughs> All right, that's a, okay. We'll keep you our uh, cards close to the chat. But like, it's a, it's a savvy answer. It's, Listeners are learning so much right it's, now. It's a competitive market, as you know. <laughs> no. Um, no, that's extremely helpful. I, I think you mentioned this at the outset, and I just want to correct me if I heard you wrong. But do you guys also focus on within InsureTech fintech, um, you know, consumer facing products? So you know, consumer apps is that an area of core focus for you? Because I feel like so much has gone on there. Basically, kind of the consumerization, the consumerization of vertical banking, consumerization yep. of, of insure tech. Just curious if that's an area you guys have have looked at, made investments in, or are looking at currently. Yeah, I mean, we we have we've looked at it. Um, you know, kind of our our position in Moneyline and Fund One is a, a great example of you know a consumer centric product. I think often what we like are patterns where you know we can see a company that started in the B two C space and they're interested in B two B to C as a distribution channel. Right. And we love that fact pattern just because you've got more of a, a hyperloop from a feedback vantage point in the consumer sphere. So you may not see like kind of industrial grade SaaS revenue that those companies are, are stacking when they're B2C, um, but you're seeing a really great product. Um, so definitely not not afraid of that. Um, you, you know, I, I think as it relates to kind of like B2C distribution channels, like we want to make sure it's more than than just lipstick. So if there's some kind of, you know, strong differentiation that's, that's underpinning that approach, then, uh, then, then certainly, you know, happy to look at it. I think we've also looked at a lot of niches that, you know, are, are kind of like consumer facing platforms. It really is more of a distribution play, um, not to suggest that there isn't merit in, in those companies coming to market and that the consumer doesn't win. But, you know, I, I think we're just looking for ways to kind of have like deeper conviction around structural advantage for some of these companies. And, you know, sometimes harder to see that when it's more of, you know, just a different distribution paradigm. Yeah, no. And and you, you mentioned made it such a great point, which I think is really interesting, um, which I'd like to just double click into real quick. A hyperloop you talked about, yeah. B2C, you know, when folks on B2C. Um, so does that mean a company that maybe started out early on, you know, at the seed stage selling directly to consumers, but has decided maybe along the Series A line, hey, we want to focus more on a B2B sort of sales method where 
It's, yeah. it's almost they've proven consumers love the product. Now it's about turning on a faster growth engine. Totally. That's it. I mean, just one of the challenges, admittedly, with, you know, group or employer distribution as a channel is, you know, it's often a longer sales cycle. And so if you're kind of looking at something that's, you know, six, 12 months is a sales cycle because it may be cyclical. And then you're trying to get, you know, kind of power users to, to come on and, and look at utilization patterns on the platform like that. That can be a very, a very costly exercise if you're starting in an employer channel. And, and so that's where, you know, even if it's sort of like a B2C business and you can get those power users and you can understand what those really pronounced uh, points of value are, <clears throat> then it, it's, it's great. And that can actually, we've seen that compress the sales cycle when you come back to the employer or the group distribution channel. That's a, that's that's so interesting. Um, yeah, no, we we've definitely seen some companies. Um, I'm I'm a little new to the Series A space. I used to just do seed investing. So yep. seeing how companies, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to see a company. You know, they took a seed check, they they crushed it, they killed it, and now they want to make a pivot uh, in some sense with their distribution strategy. And and yeah. to me, I'm just getting used to kind of understanding the different life cycles and how that probably does need to evolve. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm happy we we're able to touch on that. Um, I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about. A Send, uh, which yeah. was the first investment you guys made at Distributed VC. Um, could you just talk a little bit about the investment rationale behind that one and uh, what the team is building over there? Yeah, totally. I mean, so it's it's a super exciting product that Andrew and Praveen are building um, end-to-end payments automation in the PNC space. Um, you know, j- this is just one of those instances where, again, we sort of had a thesis that we've been working on looking at payments flow within that space, just given the volume of payments. Um, and, uh, and, and other facets of it, right? Premium finance, when you're looking at the loss ratios within the premium finance sphere, super attractive from a risk profile vantage point, um, but just hadn't seen a lot of innovation within that payments flow. And so, um, you know, when we started spending time with them and full disclosure, uh, again, it was, it was Adam Blumenkrantz and Mike that have really been driving point on that deal. But when we started um, spending time with them and we, came to appreciate kind of the expanse of the innovation that they were talking about bringing. So everything from, you know, just sort of the payments pipe, premium financing, um, assisting with, you know, commission settlement within the brokerage sphere, assisting with liability settlement with carriers. I mean, it really is an end-to-end solution. And so um, we were really excited about that dimension of it. And then just kind of the strength of, of that founding team. Uh, was something that, you know, developed our conviction. So um, not, not going to lie, right? We weren't the only ones. It's not like we found a diamond in the rough there. So as Index Ventures uh, put down their term sheet and, and won that round, you know, we were, we were happy to tag in. And I think, I think this is another kind of important hallmark in terms of the way like we see the world. Because um, there are times where, you know, we, we are a little bit more dominant. We have the conviction we want to, you know, we want to lead. Um, and there are other instances where it makes a lot of sense to, to tag into like a really complimentary syndicate. And just given, you know, given Mark Goldberg's background and having worked on Plaid and um, what we could bring from that distribution sort of strategic vantage point, um, it, it, you know, that felt like a, a pretty complimentary syndicate that we were excited about. And is that a philosophy that that you all have developed over time? Um, you know, just going through so many of these processes and, and now being on the board of a lot of companies, has that philosophy been informed by your work as a board member, getting to see these companies grow, getting to see good more board members, bad board members, you know, good VCs? Is that kind of where that came from? 
Yeah, I mean, I yes is probably the short answer, right? I mean, I think the you know the good VC, bad VC, it's a long game, right? You've got like so many exogenous exogenous variables that come into the equation, right? That I mean, when you're starting to look over like a 15, 20 year track record, for sure, like you've got a deep enough end there. Um, I, I think what I've observed, especially in the early innings, you know, there are so many challenges in building momentum and building a business. You want to make sure you've got um, super, super value add uh, sort of board members, voices in the room. And, and that can be your formal board. That can be your advisory board if you're a founder. Um, but I would think really critically, and this is one of the things that we spend a ton of time talking with our portfolio company, you know, exec teams about, it's like, give us our to-do list, like give us our homework, right? Everyone on your board should serve a purpose. They should have a clear superpower. And if you have any question about that as an exec team member, especially as a, you know, a founder, like that's, that's on you, right? You're not doing your job well if you're not kind of managing your board in that way. So I think that's, that's one point. It's kind of like, let's make sure everybody's got a superpower and it's going to be complimentary and accretive to your mission. I think the other dimension is like, keep it clean, right? Don't have too many voices in the room, especially for, for first time founders, where I think you, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different experience, right? Like you're not going to get unequivocal sort of approval for everything you do. That's not the job of your board. So it's, it's a really different reality to be living in when it's sort of like your board has two things that they can do with you as an exec team member, right? Like they can, they can hire, they can fire, right? That that's kind of it. And it's a very different reality to be living in for high performing, you know, founders when they've been in other contexts and it's their first rodeo to be like, okay, I, I may not get like screaming support from every director on everything. And like, you know, the, the sort of guardrail is like, I could be fired, right? That That's, that's just like a very different reality than a lot of folks have been in. And so um, I think that takes some, some reacclimation for a lot of first time founders. I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I, I think one topic, uh, I guess switching gears a little bit, uh, this is a very broad question, uh, maybe a lazy question, but uh, as somebody who's been around the VC uh, game for some time now, um, just looking at kind of some of the big changes that have you know happened over the past couple of years, even the past year, um, the different yeah. changes in funding methods, um, the different types of funds, the different funding strategies, um, what are some of the most monumental changes you've seen personally and any predictions for this upcoming year? I feel like I always, always got to ask the predictions yeah. question at the beginning of the year. Um, I, I think, you know, in terms of the things that I've seen evolve, um, some of it's really exciting. Um, you know, I, I do think there's bifurcation within the, the market in terms of, um, you know, folks piling on. I don't think it's like full on party round uh, stuff like like we saw, uh, you know, in the past. But but I think like it's definitely a hot market. I, I would say maybe it's overheating. I think the benefit of that is for, you know, repeat founders, folks that have amazing track records, right? It's easier than ever for them to get capital to go chase their visions. Um, you know, I think the, the, the flip side of that is for first-time founders who don't have that track record, it can be a more challenging experience raising capital. And I think for, for some companies that are still, you know, showing, frankly, like very good um, you know, not just private company sort of growth metrics, but like very good venture growth metrics, right? The reality is 
they can have more trouble kind of finding that series A, series B capital, more so A, you know, than, than they have in the past. Um, so I, I think that's kind of like the plus and the minus of the market. Um, in terms of what I, I see happening over the course of the year, I would guess it's going to be more of the same. Um, you know, I'll counter your maybe lazy question with maybe lazy answer. Um, I, I, I think the market's going to continue to be super hot for attractive assets with, with really kind of strong, uh, you know, value prop market positioning, all those things, really strong founding teams. I, I think we're going to continue to see some, some crazy valuations and rounds through the end of the year. You know, I think kind of the, the, the tigerization of the market will continue, right? We'll probably see um, those types of rounds continue to come down market a bit. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily see there being like a huge correction in the venture market this year. So like that's not on my radar, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, if, if the markets are stable the way they, they kind of have been the last couple of days, that's better. If, if, you know, a correction in the public markets continues, that obviously can trickle down into, uh, you know, sort of the spirit animals of the venture market. I mean, that's that's a very level-headed and I think reasonable response. But in terms of trying to create a title for a podcast episode, <laughs> I'm always open for some clickbaity answer. I didn't get it there. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I would, uh, I, I guess, uh, in the similar vein, uh, one of the last questions I'd love to hit on is uh, you've been around Chicago for, yep. you know, it seems like most of your adult life. Um, yep. and, and in my head, I'm like Cubs or Sox fan. We're going to have to parse <laughs> through that a little bit. But yep. uh, any kind of um, prognosis for the Chicago ecosystem, how you've seen it grow, uh, just any observations or takeaways you have as we enter 2022? Yeah, I mean, I, so... I think it's a super exciting time here. And, you know, this is part of the reason I was, I was like really pumped to, to hop on this podcast because I'm probably spending less time, uh, especially in the run up to COVID. I was spending less time in the Chicago market um, just because, you know, I was, I was bouncing around uh, to NFP locations and, and for board duties and things. Um, so I felt less connected for a couple of years. And, you know, obviously everything's on a, on a weird pause while COVID's been been playing out, but I think generally it's it's as exciting a market as as I've ever seen in the Chicago venture community. You know, I think you have kind of different eras. Um, you know, I, when I was uh, earlier in my career, right, it was it was definitely like a heavy uh, light bank era, right? There there was it was kind of like a handful of shops in town. They were super dominant, um, and, and I think just in terms of the diversity of venture that's local here at this point, that's really exciting. It's great news for founders that they, they don't have to go to the coast. They can find it here in Chicago, certainly here in the Midwest. Um, you know, a lot of, of large, large funds kind of focused on, you know, um, the Midwest as, as a fertile place for, <clears throat> for early stage investment moving forward. So I think that's really encouraging. The other thing is just exits. Like it's always great when you've got, big exits that have been realized and liquidity and distributed liquidity across like a broad employee base. And so a, a lot of that goodness, uh, obviously a, a lot of my, my friends and former colleagues, you know, Lavongo as, as that was playing out, um, have had some really nice outcomes and those types of exits, I think just, you know, breed kind of further investment in, in the local community. So I'm, I'm really excited about what lies ahead for Chicago. The other thing I would say is just, 
plug for uh, former colleague Brad Henderson. You know, we spent a bit of time at BCG together. Everything he's doing at P33, I couldn't applaud him. Uh, I couldn't applaud him enough for kind of the entire thesis of P33 and that notion of kind of, you know, first class um, assets and, and kind of like third tier you know, results. Um, so I think there's a lot there in terms of like unlocking some of the structural advantage that Chicago has. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, outside of just access to capital. So those those two things together are, are really exciting, I think, for, you know, the future of, of tech and venture in Chicago. Yeah, P33 is awesome what they're working on. We, we're hoping to get Brad on the show sometime soon, but uh, all the it. Yeah, all the things they're working on are are, are outstanding. Um, yeah. You know, I I can't let you get away from the show. I gotta I gotta know Cubs or Sox. It's just it's, it's been burning <laughs> at me. I mean, it's yeah. you spent time in both areas, so. Yeah. Happy so I'm, I'm a Cubs guy, and and that's that's rooted in pre Chicago stuff. So I, I was born and raised in Minnesota. I, I got to see you know two World Series, uh, you know sequences that the Twins won and. And so the division rivalry with the Sox, uh, I just, I can't, I can't root for the Sox as a result. All right. All right. We'll take it. Understandable. There we go. Good to know. Good to know. Um, Sean, I want to thank you so much for hopping on. This was an absolute blast. If people want to follow you guys, learn more about you, uh, get in contact with Distributed, uh, uh, where can they go? Where they, where should they yeah, go? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're on social. I'm on LinkedIn. I, I don't have a super active Twitter handle. Um, I'm, I'm living in the 90s there, I guess. But uh, but yeah, you can you can get us on LinkedIn. And then my direct email is Sean, which is S-H-A-W-N at distributedvc.com. So um, don't be shy. Reach out. I'm really excited for uh, this podcast, Matt. So thank you for doing this. I think this is great to shine a light on all the goodness that's going on around town. Awesome. Well, my number one rule is compliments equal a callback. So, you know, we'll, we'll get you, you'll get you back on later this year. There you go. You're balanced. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, th thanks for the opportunity to chat. Really had fun. Take care, Sean.